I'm here with my awesome co-host Yara, and our guest today is the wonderful orator Marwa Osman, accomplished assistant professor in media studies and presenter and host of Press TV in Lebanon. Hi, Marwa. How are you today? I'm doing good considering the bad news that we're having. Thank you for having me. Hello to you, Sarah, and to you, Lara. Yara, how are to you? How are you today? I'm good. I'm I'm excited for the conversation. Of course, also constantly kind of conflicted with what's happening, but trying to do our best to spread, you know, the truth. So, so Marwa, let's um, on a personal level. Um, how are you feeling, and what in the current state of flux that your region is in? Oh, Sarah, I'll be very honest with you. I'm suppressing whatever feelings of depression I might get or feelings of grief I might get because now I have a responsibility, not only as a mother of three, but also a, a person who works in the system of education. I have hundreds of students that I see every day and most of whom have never been through a war in their life or they were very, very young when the 2006 war hit us. So it's my job to uh, give them high morale, to uh, spread uh, hope, to uh, let them know that whatever happens, whatever it may uh, be, uh, we have to be steadfast. We have to be, this is a big, this is a historic moment for us. We have to be as big as the moment is. We have to make sure that everyone needs everything they need in our communities. We have to stand together. We, we will not uh, show any signs of uh, defeat or any signs of weakness because this is the historic moment that we have all been waiting for, that our ancestors and our grandparents and their our great-grandparents used to talk about, that it's just a dream for us. We are not only living that dream, we are making that dream possible. So I'm, uh, I'm not really uh, thinking about how I'm feeling. It's more of what I should do and what is needed of me in my community. So basically that's how I roll these days. That's a smarter way to get through it instead of like kind of internalizing it and making it about what you can do outside of you. Um, kind of what I think what everybody's sort of struggling with right now. Um, so not to like bog you down or put you on the spot, but can for our listeners, can you go through a little bit about how Lebanese internal politics and kind of like how Hezbollah integrates into that in the present, like in the last year or so? Um, because we know that those roles have kind of shifted a little bit over the last 20 or odd years, but how is it right now in, in this in this moment? Well, um... Well, it's been it's almost a year since uh, the uh, president uh, of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, left office, and we haven't been able to uh, elect a new president. Uh, that's because of internal bickering, and that bickering is specifically because the new parliament that was elected last year uh, does not have um, uh, an obvious majority. Meaning, usually in the past years, it was always a majority towards the elite that came directly after the uh, end of the civil war in Lebanon uh, with the first election in. 1992, and uh, which brought about the elite that were actually fighting with one another in the civil war, brought them to power. And Hezbollah didn't really enter into that domain of politics till uh, after the uh, assassination of late uh, Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri, when they entered full force into the Lebanese parliament and into the Lebanese politics. At that, before that, they just left it for Amal Movement, their biggest ally, uh, uh, led by uh, Speaker Nabih Berre, and they were just doing the job of the 
resistance protecting Lebanon, trying to uh, liberate Lebanon, and that's what they did in the year 2000. But in 2005, after the assassination and new uh, and the new elections that uh, came after that, because the, the the country was in a turmoil, uh, we had still Syrian forces in Lebanon from. Uh, basically remnants from the civil war and from also fighting against the Zionist entity. We had many martyrs falling from the Syrian army against the Zionist entity before liberation. So at that time, uh, the, Lebanon was in turmoil, Syria was in turmoil. So uh, Hezbollah entered into the political scene and uh, entered heavily because uh, uh, the first list that it ever introduced to the people was voted fully. Uh, and uh, from then on, it started becoming Hezbollah integrating into the Lebanese political scene uh, more and more, uh, especially after the uh, war, the global war in Syria in 2013. Uh, what It started in 2011, but Hezbollah uh, announced that it's entering into this war in 2013 by saying that uh, we will be whatever we must uh, and uh, we must now be besides our uh, friends in uh, and brothers in Syria because this is a global campaign against them. Hence, the new experience they started gaining. The first experience was guerrilla warfare experience against uh, an uh, organized army, which is the Zionist Occupation Army. Their second set of experience that started in 2013 was against the uh, Daesh remnants, also known in the West as ISIS, which uh, we have no doubt, we actually have evidence of it being mercenaries paid for, trained by the West, especially by the United States of America, in camps like Al-Tanf, Al-Rukban, Al-Mayadeen, and whatnot, especially the, the camp that are now being bombarded, by the way, by the resistance, but we'll talk about that later. So. Um, what happened uh, after that, after the Syria scene, and when liberation started ensuing in Syria, and we lost very, very fine men, uh, two of whom were my own students at the University of Ma'arif, and it was devastating for us, but at the same time dignifying, because we know, and we knew even back then that they were protecting us against ISIS, which was right on the border between Lebanon and Syria, and there was a big campaign, uh, a joint campaign between the Lebanese army and the Hezbollah resistance uh, movement fighters, uh, where they rid Lebanon from uh, Daesh ISIS uh, terrorists uh, with a big, uh, big operation, but uh, sadly we lost very fine men, both in the Lebanese army and Hezbollah, but liberation happened. We saw liberation of Tadmur, we saw liberation of Palmyra, we saw liberation of uh, parts, uh, big parts of Aleppo, uh, big parts of uh, Homs and Hama, and big parts of Derizor. And basically now, uh, more than 80% of the Syrian territory has been liberated. The remaining territories are either far north or far uh, east or uh, far south. And they are all uh, occupied by uh, ordinary uh, military meaning in the north you have the Turkish military, uh, the remnants are obviously Hayat Tahrir al-Sham and al-Nusra fighters who have their salaries paid by Turkey and their weapons uh, given to them by Turkey. In the northeast you have the uh, so-called uh, Syrian Democratic Forces, we call them the Kurdish separatists because they're trying to separate the Syrian state, that's not going to happen but that's what we call them uh, and they have not been against the Syrian government, but they have been a vital part of the looting of the Syrian oil and gas with obviously the help of the United States of America. And in the very uh, uh, south or the southeastern part where Al-Tanf base, the biggest base uh, for occupation base of the United States of America uh, on the, it's a triangle between Iraq, Syria and Jordan. And it's, it has been uh, affected heavily since October 7 by the fire of the uh, Iraqi resistance and the Syrian also uh, national defense forces. Now, the experience that Hezbollah gathered uh, made it uh, a tough adversary 
for uh, anyone who's against uh, natives regaining their land from empires and uh, colonial powers, basically. Um, it, Hezbollah became very powerful to a point that it also started something later on to be known as the axis of resistance. And uh, that included major uh, regional players like Syrian Arab Army, like the Hashdi Shabi, the popular mobilization forces in Iraq, like the national defense forces in Syria, uh, especially those that are now uh, engaging in uh, near in Qunaitra, near the Syrian Golan Heights. They are the ones who are uh, launching those missiles in support of Palestine. And also we have the Yemeni uh, brothers and sisters, also the Ansarullah uh, movement, uh, the resistance movement of the Yemeni armed forces that has been uh, under bombardment and uh, besiege themselves since 2015 by the Saudi US-led aggression. So now this power that started as a few, very few men in 1982, uh, founded to fight off the occupation, the Zionist occupation, ended up becoming a full force and leading a power in the region that is actually uh, substituting the armies uh, of the states of the region because these states are uh, being governed by puppet regimes installed by colonial uh, powers, by the empire and, uh, and its uh, uh, remnants, Britain, France, uh, uh, and the United States leading them, uh, of course, uh, those regimes have full control of their armies and any kind of armament that these armies get, they have to strictly buy it from the United States of America. And obviously they only send them weapons that they can uh, control in the hands of these puppet regimes. So now these armies in the axis of resistance are substitute basically to the uh, regular armies of the puppet regimes, which is something that the United States of America doesn't like to see. And obviously Zionist Israel uh, found that it is a grave threat uh, for it. Hence why it started attacking uh, the axis of resistance. Uh, Israel was part of bombardment campaigns, more than 1,000 uh, airstrikes against Syria since the beginning of the war, uh, against posts of the Syrian Arab army and the axis of resistance. We have uh, Israeli pilots as well as US pilots took part of, uh, of the bombardment campaign against Yemen alongside Saudi, also bomber drones and uh, Saudi pilots bombing uh, Sana'a and Sa'da and Hudaydah. And also we have seen uh, some clashes between the popular mobilization forces, especially the Hezbollah, the Iraqi Hezbollah factions against uh, remnants of the US occupation uh, in Anbar province to be uh, specific, uh, in the, uh, especially in the Ain al-Assad uh, airbase. So this growing power, obviously it grew bigger than the size of uh, Lebanon, which tells you a lot about the history of the region, Sarah. I mean, uh, we are known as the Levant, Bilad al-Sham in Arabic, Levant, meaning we, Lebanon, Syria, parts of Iraq, Jordan, and Palestine, we are one land. So any, any, any style or any form of uh, field power, of military power that comes from within these natives, they share the history, the ancestry, the language, the religion, uh, they, they share every, the land, they share everything. So obviously they're going to share, their, share the fights. And this is what we are seeing right now, uh, which brings us to the point that the Sykes-Picot agreement between France, the French mandate and the French British uh, and the British mandate, uh, history calls it mandate, we call it occupation. Uh, between these two occupations, uh, it's a, it, it is a clear evidence that this agreement now 106 years later uh, proved to be invalid. They couldn't break us apart. 
with the evidence that now Gaza is being brutally attacked, the resistance in Gaza is fighting back, Lebanon is fighting back with its resistance, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. So uh, Yemen, historically, because it is the, uh, in, in Arabic books and history, it's called the uh, the father of Arabs. Mother. Uh, so the Arabic tribes, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is actually from uh, that area, from Yemen. So they hold a very important historic and religious importance for the Muslim and Arab Arab, uh, Ummah or the Muslim Arab uh, nation, uh, hence why they are also a vital a part of this axis of resistance. Now, if we take all that and try to place it on the plate of the Lebanese politics, it's just not going to work. Uh, Lebanon is just, uh, it is a miracle to have 18 different sects from three different religions trying to live together without killing one another. We have been successful since the end of the civil war, but um, multiple times with the help of uh, Zionist Israel and uh, the US uh, empire, there was attempts to stir uh, sectarian fight in Lebanon, but thankfully the power that has this power, the force Hezbollah that has this power was always wise enough to say no. We are not going to fight one another. We did see a lot of skirmishes. We did see a lot of Hezbollah fighters dying in the streets because of, for example, Samir Jaja's Lebanese forces. I'm talking about the main ally of the United States of America and Lebanon, who was a war criminal, by the way. Uh, but despite that, Hezbollah was very adamant on not taking violence to the streets and putting violence where it should be put in retaliation to the attacks of the empire and its Zionist puppet. So uh, with politics, Hezbollah decides to take it very easy, step by step, saying we need to sit down, we need to negotiate, we need to make a wise decision. Otherwise, they can take the country in less than two hours. But why would they want to do this? The only thing that will result out of this is hatred and uh, contempt against them. Now, despite the political differences, everyone except like 20% of the Zionist puppets in Lebanon Basically, more than 80% of the Lebanese public are standing be behind Hezbollah, and this has not been the case since 2006. That is huge political development in Lebanon. So at the moment, what happened since the uh, uh, October 7 operation uh, until now in Lebanese politics, we have seen uh, several uh, different sects, different political blocs stand behind Hezbollah and stand behind the rights of the Palestinians to fight. And we even saw the biggest sects in the Christian community, which are which were basically fighting as to whom the presidency should go to because there's an unwritten rule in Lebanon that the president has to be a Maronite. You're not even going to see me as president. Well, I intend to change that, but, <laughs> later. but you never see me because there's an unwritten uh, law that says he has to be a Christian Maronite. Hezbollah doesn't have a problem with that. Excuse me, the electricity will come and go as it pleases because this is how we live. <laughs> so um, uh, these two blocks, I'm talking about Gibran Basile, who is the uh, son-in-law of the former president Michel Aoun, but also he heads now one of the biggest Christian blocks in Lebanon, the uh, Tayyar uh, uh, block. And uh, we have also the Islaman Frangia, who is Hezbollah's candidate for presidency, who's also head of the Marada bloc in Lebanon. And since the October 7, they actually got together after two years of not speaking to one another. They got together in a meeting and decided that this is a very important national moment and we need to get together and stick together and try to find some way to make politics work. So oddly enough, the massacres made 
them closer here in, in Lebanon, except again, the puppet of the empire, Samir Jaja, who keeps nagging that Hezbollah is the one who's uh, throwing uh, uh, rocks and rockets at Israel and we should stop because we don't need that war. He will never understand that we are one people. He will never understand that our blood is Gaza's blood, is Syria's blood, is Iraq's blood, is Yemen's blood, and is every Arab and every oppressed person's blood as long as they are oppressed for justice. Never mind him. Politics in Lebanon is taking baby steps positively, but that would all stop in the event of a breakout of a major war in the region. And why would I say, why is it today that I anticipate a major war, but not, for example, this morning, but this afternoon? Because this afternoon, the Zionist entity began a very big incursion, a ground incursion towards Gaza and committed a second massacre despite the genocide, the ongoing genocide for 25 days now. Uh, they committed a new uh, massacre so far, before I joined you, the number of civilians killed by the latest attack in Jabalia and Gaza is 700. 700. And last night, during the night, 300 humans were killed because they were taking refuge in a wedding hall. A wedding hall. Israel bombed them inside the wedding hall. And uh, also, before I joined you, uh, I saw a very, very, very emotional scene. But as I told you, Sarah, I've, I've not been able to cry. The last time I cried was uh, the night of the um, Baptist uh, hospital massacre. I saw that I saw the footage. My I could hear my heart break today uh, because the medics, the paramedics in um, Gaza were able to perform a C-section on a uh, a martyr on a dead woman who died under the strikes of the Israeli entity, but they were able to perform a C-section and deliver her baby. So, I mean, what more, more of a vile aggression, and vile, inhumane genocide in front of the eyes of the world and the international community and the so-called Western world with its Western values keeps its mouth shut, just shuts its ears, shuts its eyes and continue to live as is. They don't understand that whatever calamity and atrocity they are hitting us with, they will reciprocate. It will go even harder against them. We don't need to do that. Their own people are going to do it because people are seeing, people are opening their eyes and it's happening and it's like a dream come true, but it's coming like a nightmare for both of us, us for massacres that we are seeing, seeing and, and the burden of seeing our loved ones being killed like this, and at the same time, for them, a nightmare, because I don't think any human who has decency to self-respect that they would sit down and shut up concerning the genocide that is taking place. And I believe, I full, wholeheartedly believe that it will retaliate against the Western regimes by their own people. You brought up so many interesting points, and I want to stress to our listeners um, that a lot of the concepts that Mar was talking about, they're just not, an, there's no equivalent in Western, in a Western understanding. So when you talk about like this sort of bond that transcends time and borders and selfishness, we don't have that in the West. We don't have a concept of that because it's all, it's every man for himself here, and there's no real history that's binding us together like there is for you. So I think that's where a lot of 
a lot of the misunderstanding comes from as a culture clash on top of the inherent racism, but there's also a culture clash. But I do want to ask you personally, um, cause I, I think I was with Yara or I know I was on, on Twitter when it happened, but where were you on October 7th? Um, and what was your reaction? Because mine was, mine was just disbelief. Cause I just figured it was more internet rumors, but, um, what were you thinking that day or? Well, well, I wake up pretty early because I have three little monkeys. At yes, home. I, I know. You wake up at like, like four. Like awake all the time. But um, I woke up early. We were at my uh, village house with my husband, my kids, and my parents as well, my father, my mother, and my sister. And we were just like saying goodbye to the last days of summer. And um, my house is in a village called Khiam, and it is the uh, on the south uh, uh, eastern part uh, of Lebanon. It, uh, it, it it's bordering both Syria and Palestine. And I intend to have all three uh, nationalities when the liberation is over. But um, it borders. I can see the occupied Golan Heights, and I can see occupied uh, Palestine, the northern part of Palestine, called the uh, Galilee. Uh, so um, I was there and I woke up really early. It was, I, if I remember correctly, it was like 6.15 a.m. And uh, it was it's such a nice day outside. And I was just like taking it easy. They haven't stormed my room yet. And I was just looking through my feed. And the first thing that I saw from uh, a friend who lives in the uh, occupied 1948 territories in Palestine, sending me a video telling me, wake up and smell the roses, come and see. I watched the video. The first ever video that I watched was the video of the Al-Qassam Brigade's resistance forces storming in a white pickup truck, uh, the uh, Gaza enclave, and they are driving by and a big police occupation car is driving by and it's the, the police car, uh, the car of the Zionist entity was all uh, bulletproof car. And the guys were sitting in the back of the pickup truck. It was like a movie out of Hollywood. And uh, they, the, the Israelis were rushing and the resistance fighters were just like throwing bullets at them, firing at them. And by the way, there were a lot of colonial settlers around taken because the footage that we saw was the footage taken by colonial settlers. So they were not hurt because Al-Qassam brigades actually was targeting only the soldiers. And I can assure you that because today at 2 p.m. Beirut time, I was live coverage on Press TV with the spokesperson of Hamas uh, who, who is in Lebanon right now. And there's a full uh, 55 minutes of it. I'm going to be sharing every minute of it because it was absolutely very important. But I assure you, I assure you, Hamas did not target civilians. What happened is that the Israeli entity bombed its own people. We'll talk about that later. But I saw that video first and I, I just started shouting for my husband to come and see. The second video that just blew my mind was the paragliders. I was like, they are flying down on them. Come watch with me. This is unbelievably breathtaking. Come watch with me. My husband did not believe and one iota of any movie or any clip mm -hmm. until it was like 12 p.m. He said, no, 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 this is a military drill by the Israelis. No, no, no. I was like, I, I was I was in shock. I was jumping. I'm seeing something that's out of the ordinary. I'm seeing resistance fighters breaking that barrier, that wall that has been built there since 2005, since the, uh, the Zionist entity left Gaza and basically besieged Gaza. It became a concentration camp, the, big in, the biggest open, open air prison in the world. I see them blowing up these checkpoints 
just marching down the streets, taking hold of military bases, taking hostages, which are uh, uh, soldier hostages. We all saw the head of the Gaza Brigade and the Zionist entity being pulled out of his bed in his underwear. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's not something you see every day. So I was very excited, very excited uh, as an Arab, as a Muslim, as a person from South Lebanon who witnessed firsthand the liberation of her country and then went through the 2006 uh, uh, aggression and massacre as against the Lebanese people, but that ended up in a major victory for my people. Then watching this have and happening by people who are besieged, who are being killed by the Zionist entity, by suffocation, them having this steadfastness to just push back. People keep saying Hamas violence, Hamas terrorists, what would you do if all your parents were killed? Well, most of the Hamas fighters have lost their parents of some of their family members over the past 25 years. That's why they are what you call radicals, what we call resistance fighters, because they are defending their people, trying to regain their land. And according to UN resolutions and according to UN charter, it is the actual existence of Israel is illegal. It is a colonizing entity that came over and took a land from people living there. And the UN Charter, which was chartered in 1917, even before the birth of the so-called Zionist entity, says that if a colonizer comes to a land, then the people have the full right for self-determination. Israelis came, or what they were called the... Uh, uh, um, Refugee, do refugees, the refugees who were supposedly kicked out of Europe after the uh, World uh, War II, uh, they came as refugees. Golda Meir herself had a Palestinian passport before she took it on herself to eliminate and discriminate and annihilate the, the Palestinian people. The mere existence of the entity is illegal according to Western laws not to our according to our laws they're not only occupiers they are terrorists and we have every right in every biblical book and every law book and every international law that ever was put ever to be put every right to defend ourselves every right to fight back thousands upon thousands of people killed since 1948 and when the people of palestine decide to resist they are the bad guys they are violent they are terrorists excuse you the thousands of people that you killed in Deir Yassin a massacre that happened in 1948 and later on the 50s and later on the 60s and in Lebanon 3,000 people in Sabra and Shatila 3,000 there is footage for it there is footage of the Israeli entity alongside Zionist pieces of horse manure in Lebanon who were part of the Zionist entity who stormed the Sabra and Shatila camp killing 3,000 humans, 2,000 of whom are Palestinians and 1,000 of whom are Lebanese. They were opening the bellies of pregnant mothers, killing their babies. Everything that you hear any Israeli say about their history, it is stolen from the Palestinian history, stolen from the Deir Yassin uh, massacre books. If you read the history of Deir Yassin massacre, you see that the Zionist entity was putting the Palestinian babies in ovens. It's not us. We are Muslims. We don't do that even to our enemy. And the evidence is what we saw from the captives that were released from the Hamas. How she was, how she, could they read the body language? Mm -hmm. How that old woman 
stopped, turned back, and was happy to shake the man's hand because he never put a hand on her. But they put it in the basket of lies because they yep. don't want to hear about it. Well, news flash, it is our land. We're taking it back. I don't care if you kill us all. With this new incursion, with this new massacre, now I have no doubt that an all-out war will break. Yes, as a mother, this brings fear to my heart, but as a woman, I, I see myself as a militant fighter. As a militant fighter for justice, bring it on. That's I amazing. have a question on that, and, and honestly, that was that was incredible. I think you're such a powerful and passionate speaker, and people need to hear this. Um, so, you know, obviously a huge role uh, in this war and in the kind of exacerbation of it has obviously been this information war that we're seeing, the propaganda, you know, the insane levels of, of, of bias that the media is, is showing us every single day, what they're choosing to leave out, the voices that they're you know, silencing purposefully, and then, of course, the propaganda that they're pushing out. Um, can you talk about uh, that role, uh, the role of the media there uh, in shaping the public perception and what you've seen? Has it been worse than, you know, other times do you feel like they're pushing, you know, extra hard now? And the reason I asked is because, of course, they've pushed this narrative of the beheaded babies first, right? And there was no verification for that. And now, all of a sudden, you know, after Palestinian voices get louder across the world, we see bigger numbers in protests than we've ever seen. We see more people kind of um, unpacking the media bias and understanding how present it is. Um, they come with this second story of Shani Luke now. Again, no verification, Isaac Herzog. It's kind of a hearsay on his end, where is the proof? Uh, but they come again with this beheaded babies and headlines that say, you know, we have to, uh, you know, they just chopped her head off and making this this animalistic kind of uh, image out of them to to dehumanize the entire Palestinian cause. So is this the, the most intense level of kind of pushback that you've ever seen from the globe saying, no, we see what's happening now? And um, oh, do definitely. you think that's why the media is pushing so hard for this this ISIS equivalence? Yes, and I think it is good that they are pushing this hard because at some point they will fall flat on their faces and we have seen that happen. When have you ever seen a CNN reporter apologize for using a story before? Especially a story that they can cover up the way they want. But with the age of social media, despite the censorship, by the way, uh, but with this day and age, with the age where they cannot really control the air, uh, where people can surf in order to get information, I think that them pushing back like this is very helpful for our cause because uh, whatever you do, however you do it, however you say it, at the end of the day, people have eyes and they are seeing. Any sane human that sees the before and after scenes of the Baptist hospital would just sit and say, hold on, I did not sign up for this. Any human that sees faces of young babies being butchered, being killed in ways that we have never even imagined that could be possible would say, no, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, we have seen, I've seen stories uh, as a Muslim woman that astonished me in the West. 
look, I, I don't have TikTok. I don't really like it nor have the time for it. But I do see some of the, of the TikTok videos on, on uh, Facebook Reels and on Twitter sometimes. And um, I've, I've been seeing this trend within the Western communities of people not understanding how is it possible for a Palestinian mother or father to lay to rest their child and while laying it to rest, having tears flowing down their eyes and then saying, Alhamdulillah, meaning thank you, Lord. How is that even possible? They are, they are talking about the level of belief found in the hearts of Palestinians to accept that calamity, despite the fact that the mainstream media, the Western mainstream media is portraying them as people who deserve to die, as we heard on Channel 13 in Zionist Israel saying that there are no civilians in Gaza, we will eliminate Gaza. And I tell you, there are no civilians in Israel because you all go to war when you hit 18. You take your kids as young as six year olds to boot camps to teach them how to fire. Some of the bombs that fell on us in 2006 were signed by by your 11 and 10 year old kids. Hence, what? You will saw what you reap and you will reap what you saw. Definitely the same thing will come back to you. It will reciprocate to you. But going back to the media, it is a big war. We need to understand that we are facing multi-billion dollar corporations that are being led by very smart people that put strategies for issues like this. But I think that on a personal level, that the Russia-Ukraine war and the propaganda that followed and the rising of Nazism, again, us seeing a Nazi in the Canadian parliament and parliamentarians clapping for him was a very big shock for the Western uh, public. And I think when they hit the new massacres that they saw in Palestine, they were like, no, not again, will not allow you to deceive us. Hence, 100,000 took to the streets in London more than 50,000 in, in Paris. Three days ago, I was talking to a friend in Greece. She's a very, very good friend of mine. I, I do hope you follow her. Her name is Lamprini Thoma. She's a journalist mm -hmm. in Greece. And uh, Lamprini told me, she showed me a video and told me today, out of the blue, we just called for a protest without announcing it before. And we had 60,000 humans in the streets of Athens. We are talking about two separate roles, two separate cultures coming together like this have never happened before, mm -hmm. never. Not even for a joint cause about, I don't know, climate. Even climate doesn't have people who come <laughs> along and be joined uh, in forces around it. But maybe the only thing that we ever saw bring people together was uh, uh, what you call soccer, what we call football. But this time, it was a humanitarian issue. It was something to, to think about and to think about out loud this time. And uh, you, we don't need to underestimate the power of Generation Z and a Generation I in the West who really does not care about what Israeli propaganda comes from the government. They don't even trust the government to begin okay. with. And they are very smart. Don't listen to people who tell you that this generation is an idiot or ignorant or they don't know how to think. No, 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 no. They are very smart. I see them every day in my classrooms. They are very smart. 
They just need you to feed them what they need to grab. They'll take it and run with it. They are capable of fully doing their own research. They are fully capable of critical thinking, of asking the right questions, and they're fully capable of second-guessing authority. That is very important, especially in liberation movements. So the very important part of having the narrative of the Palestinians finally go out to the world, I put it back in the hands of Generation Z and part of the millennial generation as well who has had it, has had it from their authoritarian parents and their authoritarian regimes mm -hmm. and everything that is just putting pressure on their necks, whether in their jobs that they don't like or their careers that they ended up in or whatever majors they studied and they didn't like. And at the end of the day, they found themselves that they are lost, confused. Mm -hmm. They are not uh, accepting the lives that they are leading. So that is very important, as well as the flourishing youth that challenge the authority. Yes, the major media has a big hand in uh, collective public opinion or fabricating uh, uh, facts for the public opinion to absorb. But at the same time, I think that uh, narcotizing dysfunction is not going to work anymore in media. I think that uh, the influence of uh, the elite is not going to work anymore. Uh, we've seen for the first time uh, people uh, basically boycotting major corporations at this level of effect around the world that support that that vocally support the zionist occupation forces and uh, by far i have never ever seen something like this i hope this continues and i'm going to be a bit selfish here and i say i hope this continues when our turn starts it, it will is hopeful isn't it because what i'm seeing on top of you know seeing the palestinian movement is really spearheading the world the entire world and so they really are kind of you know leading the resistance globally now and i i can see that just as a journalist throughout my years i've seen the uh, the trust in journalism and the media and also the respect go, go lower and lower and lower to the point where today you know we use platforms like x to and, and trust you know our own sources or verify ourselves because we don't trust the media anymore and what i'm seeing today is is really the, the, the entire mainstream media just slowly falling. It started in 2001 on the 11th of September, where we started realizing all these lies that they used to go and invade and kill 1,500,000 uh, 1, uh, people in Iraq. And then now we're seeing, you know, the first we saw the pandemic as well, and we saw all the media lies behind that. And now, and, the, and the throughout, and throughout, how how the public is suffering because they don't take care of their own public. No medical uh, care, no uh, education. They, they're not. They're just stealing that yep. money and putting it where it brings them more money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That playbook has really become spread the news. Right, every time one of these these big propaganda kind of pieces come out that they want to push and just create a fake narrative around it's the playbook I've noticed is spread the news as quickly as possible, disseminate it everywhere, get you know everyone to cover it within the next 24 hours, get everyone to parrot that and repeat it. And then at the same time, you know, a couple of days later, you retract, you retract, you say, sorry, you know, we didn't have any verification for this story and it's too late. And the world has already shaped their mind with, you know, this yeah. opinion of, you know, Hamas is like ISIS because they behead people and it's ridiculous, but but we're on to their playbook. And I think that's a really, you know, Palestine really is kind of the the, the crux right now for the global resistance. It's 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 the, the, the lies, 
that, uh, you know, the US and UK uh, that are all in um, cahoots with Israel, uh, the lies they're coming out, but then also the entire mainstream media machine kind of falling. So I guess you're, you're right that in the most horrific way right now, there is hope for, for, for the world and Palestinians and are spearheading it. Oddly enough, you see that where it all started, it's now all ending. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the uh, 19th century up until now, and you see how uh, the colonial powers of that world, including uh, Paris, including France, Britain, and um, to a certain extent, uh, Belgium and the United States of America, uh, you see that uh, if you look at the Arab map of the, of the Arab states, you see that there was uh, French occupation in Syria and mm -hmm. Lebanon and that fell. British occupation mildly in Iraq and that fell, British occupation in uh, Jordan and uh, Palestine, British occupation in Egypt, uh, French occupation in uh, Algeria and parts of Tunisia and uh, also Morocco. And they were losing that uh, those colonies that they, that they occupied. And uh, while they were leaving, it's, it's, it's as if uh, back then, what was called Great Britain, as if they gave that file of the Middle East, they just handed that file to the United States of America. And America decided that that's it. Uh, there is an entity that we can actually uh, fund and uh, we can actually uh, support. And it will be our gateway towards this land, this vast land that uh, the opportunity in it is so big, we haven't experienced it yet or even known about it yet. And that was even before they uh, they even knew that Saudi Arabia was uh, one of the biggest reserves of oil and gas in the world or Qatar or Iraq or, uh, for example, uh, Lebanon and Syria. They don't tell you about this, but we, we do have fuel, we do have oil and gas, but we're not allowed to take it out, only the uh, colonizers can. We haven't been able to allow them, which is why they're trying to impose uh, puppet regimes against us. It's not working. And at the same time, they are seeing that the colony that they worked so hard to strengthen was shattered in less than 24, less than two hours, to be honest, two hours, but let, let's say less than 24 hours, there was cries coming out of Yafa, known for the world as Tel Aviv, but we call it Yafa because it's occupied and it had a name before it was named Tel Aviv. So cries were coming out of Yafa from Netanyahu saying, he called within three days, more than six times, Joe Biden, come Papa, come save us. That was the call because they, in less than 24 hours, all the trust that the Zionist entity was building within the minds and hearts of its colonial settlers to completely shut their eyes and just believe in the uh, uh, in the IDF and the IOF and believe in their army to just completely trust their army was shattered, shattered by 1500 of the bravest men of Palestine, bravest fighters militant resistant fighters who gave their lives and sacrificed and a lot of whom returned back with uh i don't know what what you call them but it's like uh, uh the, the 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 reward that you get from war which is the settler colonial captives and the uh, uh soldier captives a trophy a spoil the spoils of war spoils yeah spoils of war which were not even touched 
which were protected, given medical air, given food and water, despite the fact that the people of Gaza are now going hungry because there's no aid for them. Because the only reason they wanted to do that is to swap it with more than 20,000 detainees found in, in inhumane situations inside the Israeli detention centers. Women and children as young as five years old. Five. Yeah, I mean, if, I'm, if I am a liar, go search for yourself. Go find their names. The, actually, the UN and, and Amnesty International, two bodies that I don't trust, have their names published. If you don't trust me, go and search for it. Go and search for the videos of young kids being chased in the streets. A girl as young as three years old running and three soldiers running after her. The horror that this young baby went through. This has been going on since 1948 and Hamas wanted to swap these prisoners, get the babies and the women out and everyone who is severely ill and under very poor health conditions out of prison. Netanyahu decided to cover his behind by a massacre. He doesn't know right now. By the way, if you follow through for the past week, how Netanyahu is giving speech and speaking, he's counting every word because he knows that at the moment, inside the Israeli regime, there are certain committees, certain mm -hmm. investigative committees being uh, prepared to point fingers when this ends. They think that it's going to end. It's not going to end. To point fingers at one another and blame one another, which will end up in us seeing Netanyahu behind bars if we actually don't put him on a ship back to where he came from before that. But don't know he's from the don't send him back here he's from the united states we don't want him back send him back to europe please well, well we saw what we saw at dagestan the other day it's like no one wants the, the colonizers back i mean i don't know should we like ask uh the united arab emirates if they would build an island in the ocean for them they are really good in building islands in the ocean i think it would they be great to isolate them far away on some island yeah well, they had a whole area in russia they were given an entire oblast in russia they can all go there it's free jewish autonomous oblast they can control it they can have their religion own language everything no but please please be advised that they are the descendants of uh, Israelites mm -hmm. from here, from the Middle East, the Middle East, where I, an Arab woman, who I'm, I'm fairly a bit white because my mother comes from the Caucasus, uh, her ancestry is from the Caucasus uh, Sea, from from uh, southern Russia, but the rest of the humans here are actually brown humans, dark-skinned humans. Please, oh please, tell me how an ancestry line can come with white, fair skin and bright blue eyes and claim that they own the land. Do you know that the highest levels of skin cancer is found in, in uh, Israeli colonial settlers and not in Palestinians? Lo and behold, because they are natives to the land, <laughs> their body is made to fit the temperature of this land. They want to steal everything. Everything that they put their hands on, they steal it. Even narratives. They steal also mm -hmm. stories. We're not going to accept that anymore. And they're not going to shame us because of what Europeans did to them. It's not our history. It's their history. We never put anyone in any gas chambers if there ever was any. We never killed anyone. We never built Auschwitz. We never uh, bombed uh, uh, Jewish people. We never uh, uh, discriminated against them. There, we have Jewish communities right here in Lebanon. We have Jewish communities in Jordan and Syria and Yemen. We've been living together in 
Well, come and go peace because we always had colonizers, but we've been living together as, as communities forever without fighting. But when you decide to come on ships with uh, money from the West to build uh, a colony, uh, to uh, basically rub Germany's nose in the dirt by making them give you top-notch technology every year to make them pay as part of reparations for the Jewish communities. What are you without all these fundraising campaigns? You're nothing. We saw that you're not. What are you without your air strikes? Take away the F-16 jet fighters. I swear to God, to any God that you believe in, Israelis will not remain here for 24 hours. Our land. We will take it back. Whatever they do, it's our land. Can you imagine me in Khiam sitting in my house and seeing a Zionist colonial settler trying to come in again or a Zionist fighter or a Zionist for a force or uh, a, a Merkava tank? I will gladly stand in front of it. My land kill me. I'm not leaving. Are you ready to die? Yeah. Yes, actually, no. <laughs> but, um, you touched on Yemen, and I, Yemen is a place that's very near and dear to us. We um, have a community there that we support, and they are in the chat right now saying things and sending you love. Um, but I do want to talk about them because they're always, whenever something happens in Palestine, they're always the first out on the streets protesting and making statements. Millions. It's like it's like protest for them is so easy mm -hmm. that there is no street long enough mm -mm. to handle their 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 size and the number of people that go. Amazing humans, amazing humans. I've never seen people so steadfast and dignified the way that Yemenis are. I can't wait for the siege to be lifted. The first thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to Sana'a. I have so many friends there that I've never met, only through uh, uh, like uh, virtual meetings and uh, some, some classes that I even gave uh, through virtual uh, Zoom classes. But I have so many friends there, so many very close friends to my heart that, that I just want to go and just hug if I can. Amazing humans. I don't know if you heard what, what happened today, the, the statement that came out yeah, of the Yemeni we're gonna, Armed Forces. We were going we were gonna to show it, and I want to ask you about it. Yeah. Hold it up. Um, we have the statement from the the Yemeni Armed Forces, as well as a kind of a little post from the Houthis. So could you pull up the um, the pictures from the Houthis area? And that was from today. And I, I kind of want to point out the picture on the left, which is a Shahed, um, which was yeah. is the drones that used in uh, Russia. Has that started. Russia were used in Ukraine. Yes. And then they all said, you know, we uh, they alleged that the Houthis had them. They were kind of scared. And Aria, play the video from uh, Southern... Uh, that's the signature sound of the Shahed drone. So we know that the Houthis are active. Uh, we know that the, they've claimed um, the uh, last three attacks. And I, I do want to read some of the messages from my friend because I remember when it started and he said, you know, I'm scared, but they should actually be scared because you don't know how to deal with people that aren't that have nothing left to lose and Yemenis have nothing left to lose. And then today he said, I love you. You must prepare. There will be bombing in Yemen during the next the following days. Gaza must rest from the bombing, and we are ready to make the sacrifices for Gaza. 
So I'm going to cry a little bit, but um, I just, it something like that is remarkable to say, we're going to make ourselves completely vulnerable and open ourselves up to try to create some sort of diversion and make the Israelis um, kind of give us some more of that attention and take it off of Gaza. What do you make of, of kind of the Houthis now kind of but let me let me let me start by saying and i i don't mean to be correcting you in any way sarah uh, but uh, it's ansarullah because houthis are just one of the hundreds of tribes that are part of ansarullah the ansarullah movement which is also part of the yemeni armed uh, forces uh, so it's 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 the terminology that the west want us to get used to by by saying it like houthis but just they're just one tribe and there are a lot of tribes that they have given their their everything uh, for Yemen, and now they are giving their everything for Palestine as well. So what do I think? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised one bit. People don't know that in the fight against a Zionist entity in Lebanon between 1982 and 1990, we had Yemeni brigades in Lebanon fighting side to side with the resistance. And what people don't know is the head of that brigade that was fighting in Lebanon, Israeli pilots took off from Yaffa, Tel Aviv, to Sana'a, bombed his house more than 30 years later because he took part in fighting them in South Lebanon in 1982. There's a, there are reports about it with the names uh, of the leaders and the brigades, and there are also footage and video of them fighting in Lebanon. So it is, it is beyond uh, one history that, that, uh, that actually binds us together. It's, it's Islam. It's, it, it's, and the word, when I say the word Islam, I'm not saying it's only about Muslims because the word Islam literally means man aslama wajuhu lillah, which means he who have given it literally his face, but uh, when it's it's deeper meaning, it means he who have given his everything to the higher power and the spirit, which means it no, it's not only about being a Muslim uh, who follows Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and his family. It's about knowing the truth, fighting for the truth, standing with the oppressed. Because why? Because at the end of the day, you know that you are going to die either way. Better die dignified than die a death that is undignifying. This is what Yemen is about. The way that they fight back is unprecedented. The way that they stood by the people of Gaza and the people of Palestine is unprecedented. The only people so far in the Arab world where their leaders issued threats against the Zionist entity and actually implemented those threats by sending those bomber drones and by sending those missiles. And by the way, did ever people ask themselves why was the uh, USS Kearney intercepting those missiles, but it never intercepted the same missiles when they were headed towards Saudi Aramco? Yeah, ask yourself that. Because when it is going to touch the real interest of the United States of America, they are ready to do anything. Hence the 56 uh, the uh, battle battleships and aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean right now standing like if you if you have a really good binoculars you can see them you can you can see those 56 uh, aircraft carriers standing in the Mediterranean the, for the first time since 1945 they have made all western states who are shoes in the feet of the empire to bring their battleships to our house our turf 
our land to fight us? Are you dumb? Have you no idea whom you are fighting? Literally, Gaza, 363 square kilometers, and you're not able to take Gaza for day 25. The only thing that you're able to do is create havoc and massacres. There are a lot of us. We're more than 400 million. Are you going to kill us all? What are you going to do? Now I lost, that was so great. I lost my, completely lost my train of thought. You, you, oh, oh, the but, but, and, and, and I want, I want to say something just for, for, uh, the, the cause of the, the moment right now with the, with the uh, rockets and the drones that are falling on Ilat, which is on the, uh, most Southern part of mm -hmm. occupied Palestine, uh, by the way, these missiles, which are 2,000 kilometers range missiles, I, di I did a report on my show about about uh, five weeks ago, almost five weeks ago, uh, and I did a report because uh, it was basically it was to commemorate the September 21, 21 revolution in Yemen, and I did a report about the great military par parade that happened there, mm -hmm. and I mentioned in my report that there were uh, missiles, new missiles that were unveiled that were farther than 2,000 kilometers. And I I was just dropping a joke uh, on my show saying that, dear Yemenis, be careful. Don't drop them right on us in South Lebanon. Be careful where you're dropping them. If it's more than that, just try to launch them away from Sada. Just go downward in, in <laughs> Yemen before launching them. Because it is very, very important to know that uh, Palestine is not alone and that the Israeli entity does not know from which end the, uh, the, the upcoming new strike will come. This uh, factor of, of a surprise is a very, very important strategy. And I think that the axis of resistance has mastered it. I mean, you have the military bases of the US being targeted for now in Syria and Iraq, but we all know, for example, that Bahrain, which is very nearby Yemen, has the uh, U.S.'s fifth fleet docking mm -hmm. in the ports of Bahrain. We have also, for example, in the Red Sea, many sitting ducks that the Yemenis can just target. In the Mediterranean, they think that they are actually um, scaring us by bringing these 56 uh, aircraft carriers to the coastal line of Palestine and Lebanon. Allahi, we will have a parade when we see them being fired upon in the sea. We will be dancing in the streets while they rain bombs on us. You know why? Because there's, there's a reason this land, it's called the land of the Phoenix. You know how many times we've risen from under the rubble? You know, the first time I ever saw atrocity, I was nine years old and watching a TV. We didn't live in Lebanon, but we were on Easter break in Lebanon with my family. And uh, it was April and uh, 1996 Qana massacre happened. And it was the first time in, in my life I hear a bullet or a missile. And it was the first time in my life I see a dead body. And I saw one up close in the, the street that we were residing in. And then on TV, I saw the body of a, a six month old baby being pulled out of the rubble wearing a onesie with his little, uh, um, we call it etitine, and, and it's it's a bit of it's a French word. We were colonized by the French. So the, the, the pacifier, with the pacifier linked to his onesie and uh, without a head. And there's footage of that online, if you don't believe me. And at that moment, I was nine years old and uh, everything changed. I was no longer a child. 
they stole my innocence and the innocence of all the millennials at that time who were kids. Uh, that's what I saw. And then after that, I saw the Mansouri uh, ambulance. You can research Mansouri, M-A-N-S-O-U-R-I ambulance, which was hit by the Israelis and it was carrying wounded civilians, most of whom were children. And I saw a father grabbing his lifeless kid in his hands and she, she, she has no facial expressions because she's full of blood. That was what I was watching as a nine-year-old child. Do you think I will grow up to be a princess? What would I grow up to be? The man behind me in the photo is my father-in-law. He was killed in 1977 when my husband was five days old. You think my husband will grow up to love Israel? Israel killed him in 1977 and he was a soldier in the Lebanese army defending his village. My children don't have a grandfather because of the Israeli entity and you want me to do what? Stand with Israel? I'm going to be civil and not use any uh, profanity, but I'm going to tell you something. Take multiple seats, sit down, educate yourself, and be ready because we will rain hell on you just as you have rained down on us that hell. We've gotten a lot of <clears throat> finger wagging from you, and I know that Lebanese finger wagging is very dangerous. But speaking <laughs> of finger wagging, we are all waiting for the ultimate yeah, one on Friday. Yeah, Trust me, yeah, we I'm are all waiting for Friday. So, Aria, play the video. I think the one from today. Uh, from As we wait for the ultimate finger wagging. It um, says, at the end, it says Friday, November uh, 3rd at 3 p.m. Al-Quds time. So yeah, the connotations, so many Zionists are analyzing them. They don't understand that they mean nothing except that be ready. Something is about to happen. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I don't want you to make any like predictions because I don't want you to put yourself, to put yourself out there. But with Yemen kind of coming up just shy of declaring war, basically just saying we're going to continue to engage in what we're engaging in now, uh, but not declare war just yet. What kind of messaging do you think you'll get from Nasrallah on Friday? Threats. Just, okay. For sure, threats. Um, I don't know if it's... a I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it's going to wait till up then, because I, as, as I said, as we came along, there was a massacre in, in Gaza, mm -hmm. and they are now trying a new uh, ground incursion, but we have full, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we completely understand, we have full confidence that the resistance in Gaza will uh, thwart that new attack. They, are, they have been doing amazing, amazing job for people who have been besieged under bombardment for 22 or 25 days so far. Uh, but when... Um, when and if things get to start to get out of hand, we can't let Gaza be annihilated. Some people say, why wait? I understand their thrill and their, um, because I've been, <laughs> I've been for the past 
three weeks, I've been just talking people down a bit because I know people since October 7 wanted to see the big uh, Burkan missiles and the Khaybar missiles flying from Lebanon down to occupied Palestine. But the issue is you need to trust the Palestinian resistance and uh, you need to trust that the axis of resistance has a joint operations room. And you need to trust then when things escalate that the axis of resistance will have the, the back of Palestine or else what are they really training for? if not this major war of liberation. This has been the manifesto of every uh, military wing of every uh, political bloc that, that joined the axis of resistance. Their manifesto is, the end goal is the liberation of Al-Aqsa and Palestine. And you can't just keep watching, even if you know sometimes you might do something that is a bit miscalculated, you can't just keep aside and stay watching. I just, I don't understand how Egypt, the land of 100 million, can still do nothing. I cannot fathom the idea how Jordan, that has the, the longest uh, uh, border with, with Palestine, comes out at such a very important, unprecedented historical moment and says, the spokesperson of the army said three days ago that we have agreed with the Americans to install Patriot missiles in Jordan. Against whom, ya Habibi? Against whom? You want us? You want to see us get killed? You want to put Patriot missiles because you know that the Iraqi and the Syrian uh, armies, the Iraqi Hashdashabi and the Syrian army, will be flying uh, um, uh, missiles against a Zionist entity. Who are you protecting? Instead of standing with us, this is—you have no idea how much undignifying this is. And when I say undignifying in the Arab world, it means a lot. Morals values, dignity, steadfastness, and brotherhood are very, very important for the Arabs in specific and the Muslims in general. What are you doing? Do they really think that their puppet regimes will uh, will stay wherever they are right now? N not if, when the Zionist entity falls, because it's a temporary entity. They need to jump the wagon right now before it's too late. Because as I predicted that the West will see its own horrific scenes by its own people, I predict that will happen to the normalizing entities here in, in uh, the Arab world as well. Egypt, Jordan, UAE, Riyadh. At the beginning of, of um, the first week of the war on, on Palestine, uh, the liberation war, if you will, it was the first time I ever hear about a military wing inside of Saudi Arabia called the uh, the liberator of the Al Haramain Sharifain. Haramain Sharifain meaning the two most honorable mosques found uh, for Muslims in uh, Mecca. Uh, so they, it's it's a new military wing inside Saudi Arabia operating besides the axis of resistance. It's a wave you cannot stop it. No. If people think that October 7 will come to an end anytime soon and we're still uh, again going to see some sort of negotiations the, uh, similar to what we saw in Oslo 1993, wake up, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Wallahi, it's not going to happen. Because the level of atrocities that befell the Palestinians, if Hamas is in Gaza, why the hell is Israel bombing Jenin and the West Bank? Why are they having a full front uh, a ground incursion against Janine and the West Bank and Ramallah and Al-Khalil, Hebron? Why are they not allowing people to go pray in Al-Aqsa, in Al-Quds? Why are they killing young men in the streets of Al-Quds? Where's Hamas there? 
Yep. This is an entity that is found on blood and will not be eliminated except with blood. This is not a prophecy. This is how things, it's ABC, it's physics. And this is I how have, it's going to end. I have two points. And also I've been watching the, the comments flood in and people, people love you so much. It's <laughs> been such a great conversation with you today. So two points. Number one on, you know, the, there's a big difference between, you know, actual civilians and then armed settlers. And as you said a little bit earlier in the conversation, right, Ben Gavir was arming settlers, just handing out guns one by one to everyone, giving them this right to shoot Palestinians on site. And so it, it got me thinking that, of course, this term, we're, we're using it quite loosely because, you know, on the one hand, there was a report published both by Amnesty International and by ECAD um, in depth, and I keep bringing this up because I feel like more people need to know about this. Um, they they uncovered all these telegram channels that had really disgusting uh, footage of how settlers treat Palestinians. And there was so much evidence, I couldn't even watch it all. I was just got sick to my stomach seeing the, the torture, the ridicule, the mocking, the cheering for death. And this was against women and children. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about this conflation and which you brought up a little bit earlier of criticism with anti-Semitism. Um, we saw the Israeli delegation just yesterday put on uh, a yellow stars during the meeting of the UN Security Council, right? They, they, were, they were being so dramatic and just victimizing themselves. And the thing with that is that then, you know, everyone is scared and self-censored because of this. But I wanted to read four quotes so that maybe the audience hasn't heard these. But Yoav Gallant, the defense minister of Israel, said there will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting animal, animal people and we are acting accordingly. Um, Ariel Kalner, the Israeli politician of the Likud party, he said, now there's only one goal, Nakba, a Nakba in Gaza that will dwarf the Nakba of 1948. Daniel Hagari said we are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is destruction, not accuracy. Ezra Yachin said, wipe out their families, their mothers, their children. These animals must not, must not be allowed to live any longer. There are so many more that I could pull up here, but do you think that they're losing their victim card? Because I'm so sick and tired of this victim shit, sorry, when they're doing exactly the same thing that was done for their ancestors. And, uh, you know, this is, this is just, we cannot yeah. use this anymore. You know what, what really gets on the nerves of the Zionists? That the anti-Semite card does not work in this part of uh, the world. Nope. Um, I'm a Semite. Semites are Arabs and Jews. I am, as, how can I be anti-myself? That doesn't work. That's number one. Number two, the uh, Holocaust crying and whining doesn't work here because, babe, newsflash, it was not us. You can use that wherever you want, but not here. Here, it's us who will flash that card. It's us who will say never again. And also, um, I think that they are not only losing their sympathy card, they are losing their minds, Yara, because um, the way that they are uh, unfiltering themselves without thinking about it, the way that uh, we are reading their body language when they are uh, um, in shock, they are still in shock, but at the same time, they are unmasking this vile aggression to the entire world, which we have seen firsthand as natives to this land, but we never really had 
you know, that evidence to show other people. And now people all over the world are, are watching them losing their minds in international uh, podiums or uh, uh, on TV or in mainstream media or when they are talking to their own communities or with the uh, racist disgusting parties that the IDF, uh, IOF, uh, is uh, uh, portraying. You see a lot of videos of them jumping and dancing, uh, uh, but what, what people don't understand uh, what they are saying is they are singing songs against Arabs and Muslims. Yeah. And by the way, Christians, if you are, what my mind does not fathom the thought of how Christians stand with Israel. They are literally your biggest enemies. They literally took away Bethlehem where Jesus Christ was born. They occupied it, kicked people out. Any Christian who goes to the holy city, to the, uh, to the uh, church of um, sepulcher in, in uh, Al-Quds gets spit on mm -hmm. by the Zionists. Don't believe me, go do the research and watch it. I don't understand, especially how American evangelicals stand with Israel. There's no upstairs there's a, like renting that area they don't think for themselves they drink that propaganda i mean if you are such a lover of jesus christ why don't you come and visit the place where he was born in bethlehem i'm i'm inviting you i'm 11 come come and see for yourself come and see how they will well you might not have the time because we're kicking them out but come and see for yourself <laughs> Come I remember they kicked them all out. <laughs> and, and then in Bangorion airport, I have had multiple friends who flew from the West through Bangorion airport and left through the checkpoint to Jordan because they couldn't take it anymore. Because they knew that they're going to leave them in uh, investigation for six to seven hours. They're going to take their stuff. They're going to uh, uh, treat them in such a, a discriminatory, disgusting manner. And at the same time, okay. <laughs> Sorry. And at the same time, uh, uh, they saw firsthand uh, the discrimination and the way that they handle the Palestinians as if they are like cattle in a farm. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean it. People in the West like to call it uh, an apartheid regime. It's not. It's an occupation. It's a colonization. An apartheid regime means that there is um, hope for it to become a democratic regime. La, 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 la. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. That's not, it's one democratic state of Palestine. Point final. Point. But I advise and I suggest that Westerners who say that they stand with Israel to research in Hebrew on YouTube how the Zionist Jews of Israel treat the Paris, the Palestinians. Watch firsthand. Watch the checkpoints of Al-Quds Jerusalem. Watch the checkpoints of the West Bank. Watch the atrocities that has been committed against the Jenin camp, whether it's in 2002 or last uh, a couple of four or in July, July 2023, what happened. We have so many massacres in our history, so many blood that was shed by our people that uh, sometimes if if we want to make like books or or uh, publications about it despite the fact that we might not find uh, a publishing house to actually have the guts to publish it if it were in english in arabic you could but in english you wouldn't 
there are no enough books in the world to talk about the atrocities of the Zionist Israeli entity and the U.S. occupation in our region. The atrocities of the U.S. invasion of Iraq, illegal occupation and invasion of Iraq is still felt to this day, especially in Anbar and Fallujah, where uh, the rate of uh, kids who are born with birth defects due to the use of illegally and banned uh, illegal weapons and banned internationally banned banned weaponry like white phosphorus, for example, and other kinds of uh, cluster munition. 500% more than 10 years ago. That's the rate of birth defects in Fallujah and Anbar. 500% more than 10 years ago. This tells a lot about what kind of weapon that they tested against the Iraqi people. And I cannot imagine what kind of, of, of bombs were, were tested on Gaza, especially on the night of Friday, October uh, 27, the morning of September, October 28. I cannot, I think you saw it. I, I did a, a show about it. It was, uh, it aired uh, while I was speaking to you right now on Press TV. It aired right now on Press TV. I had amazing guests uh, from Perth, uh, Syrian girl, Maram Susli, and uh, from New Jersey, uh, the former Marine, uh, Lucas Gage, and uh, we spoke about this, and um, uh, I, I called it Gaza's Ring of Fire. The munition that was used on Friday night, Saturday morning, was a new kind of weaponry that we have not seen being tested before. And I fear about what will be the consequences of this weaponry, not now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Well, Given, you know, as a, as a final question today, given everything that we're seeing unfolding, what do you think is next for Palestine? What, what, how do you, sorry, my dog decided to join the conversation. How do you see this progressing? I mean, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. What, what do you see happening next? Well, um, from that, that's one of the questions that I asked the Hamas representative today during our interview, which aired on Press TV. And I asked him, like, uh, what, what do you anticipate will come out of this uh, aggression? And what are your basic demands for it to, to basically uh, stop? And they, they, they said that um, Hamas is ready, uh, not only Hamas, all the, uh, the resistance factions in Gaza are ready to continue uh, protecting the, uh, Gaza and not allowing the uh, entity to uh, have a successful ground incursion into Gaza and that they are fully capable of doing so, but at the same time, they want to see uh, the necessary humanitarian aid being delivered to uh, the people of Gaza, especially those in need of medical care, uh, in need of, uh, of um, medicine, in need of food, in need of, uh, I mean, kids need milk, they need uh, medicine, they need food, they need they need everything. It's an, it's 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 a, a complete extermination of the people. But at the same time, he was very very adamant on making it positive for everyone involved that Hamas will not back down as long as Israel is continuing with this aggression. And if they think that they can uh, erect those walls again between the Gaza and Glaive and Gaza, then they have no idea what they could just got themselves into. But um, I believe that. Uh, not in the event, we already saw the escalation by the Yemeni forces, uh, armed forces uh, announcement. <clears throat> I think we're we going to start seeing some uh, escalation right here in, in uh, South Lebanon. And uh, we have prepared ourselves for that. We have prepared our families for that. And um, uh, to be honest with you, uh, we can't wait to uh, link 
our blood with the blood of our brothers and sisters in Gaza because uh, what we saw is beyond horrific and maybe it's it will just be giving back a bit telling them that look we we are here uh, despite everything despite the distance between us we are here and if if uh, starting a war to rid you from uh, the calamity that you have been enduring throughout history especially throughout the past uh, almost month we are ready to do it we we're not afraid of it we're ready to do it and we just need you to keep your heads high we need you to keep your chins up and uh, we need you to know that we you know how terribly uh, you feel on a psychological level because no human would remain sane after 25 days of continuous bombardment you were you were telling me sarah when we began where were you in october 7 and october 8 and how it felt october 8 uh, morning on sunday uh, uh, the uh, clashes between the resistance forces hezbollah and israel began and uh, the bombardment campaign began with uh, it started with artillery shelling and it was just facing my house and um it was the first time that i hear uh, squeaks not screams squeaks coming out of one of my children i have each one of them has her own personality but the middle one is usually the feisty one and the the screams that came out of her of her voice of her of her throat it was the first time i ever hear it because it was the first time in their lives that they hear something like this and um her squeaks and her running up the stairs uh, just trying to find me it broke a pain down my spine and i still have that back pain uh, up until now because no mother can stand the voice of her terrified horrified child so that put into perspective from an artillery that fell like three or four kilometers away from my house imagine gaza imagine the mothers and fathers of gaza holding their children while their buildings are being bombarded and them being buried under the rubble. It's nothing. I can, I'm ashamed to say that I have back pain because one of my daughters screamed because she was afraid of the... What? I will start being able to have dignity again if and when I bury one of my children. That's the only time that I will feel slightly dignified in, in front of Gaza. I don't know that I could think of a more poignant point to wrap the episode on. Um, Marwa, you've been like incredible, absolutely incredible. The chat has gone crazy. This has been so inspirational. I think that uh, Yara and I are going to go join um, a, a militia somewhere. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very inspirational to hear from... And again, I want to reiterate that that's not those these aren't concepts that are well understood in the West, the idea of sacrifice and the very strong belief in a higher power that kind of encompasses um, a person's life and their relations to other peoples in the region. We just don't have that. So it was really amazing to have you speak so candidly about that. Two people, most of our listeners are in the West. So hopefully they garner somewhere. Understand they're all complaining about all the other shows. That shows two Zionists. That shows two pro Israel talking about all the other uh, podcasters. So um, thank you for coming on. Um, you've, we'll have to touch base again after Friday because I'm very excited. Well, 
for sure. And ladies, you never know. You might come along next spring and we might just get into my car and drive down from South Lebanon to Al-Quds and then to Gaza. Don't, there you go. don't say, yeah, we're going to be, we'll be in contact. We'll be in contact. <laughs> thank you. And thank, thank you, you so Nara. much, Marwa. Marwa, why don't you tell our listeners where the show is? Because I know it got censored on YouTube, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, they took down all everything related to Press TV. Um, well, my show, you can find my show on uh, PressTV.ir uh, under the, the title Mideast Stream. And um, you can go to my Twitter account on X uh, uh, with at uh, Marwa two underscores Osman. You can find everything in my bio, especially in my Telegram, because I'm trying to move out of the Western uh, based um, uh, platforms because they silenced me as well on Facebook after my last trip to Moscow when I just I did nothing except post a, a photo with Maria Zakharova, who is one of my idols. But um, they took that down uh, with 10,000 followers. They took down my YouTube channel after I was trying to uh, hold a relief campaign for Syria after the February 6 uh, uh, earthquake uh, with 4,000 followers on YouTube that was also gone. Now I'm, um, I should be heading to 100K on Twitter, but I was uh, shadow banned for more than five years. So I'm barely now hitting uh, 40K, but I know that I'm shadow banned. I know most people don't see my tweets, which is why I'm moving slowly to Telegram and hopefully maybe start something on, on Rumble. But uh, because I'm now uh, working on a second show, I have a show called The Mideast Stream, as I said, on Press TV. And now we're working hopefully soon. It's a, it's a surprise. Uh, I just say it's an expose on Press TV. <laughs> an expose. Well, we will look for it. And thank you again, Marwa. And we will be in touch. Please hit like, subscribe, share, all of that fun stuff so Aria doesn't yell at me. Um, tomorrow we'll be joined by Patrick Henningsen. And Thursday we'll have Kavork, Kavork again. Thank you again, Marwa. Uh, we'll continue our trip through the Levant. Thanks again. Hello. Bye.